Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, we'll start the show here in just a second. But first, here's a word from Stephanie Miller. Well, you've tried it all and it's not getting better, right? You don't sleep well, which makes you irritable, on edge all day. And then there are the other days when you're just down, nothing feels right. It's not your fault. There's a lot of that going around. If you're into natural alternatives, you're going to love this CB Distillery. America's trusted source for CBD products created a breakthrough compound. It is called CBN. And when combined with CBD, it interacts with our regulatory system responsible for sleep, emotional response, discomfort, perception, inflammation, even memory. Bottom line, this is the natural path to better sleep, a calm mind and body, managing discomfort after physical activity. And with over 2 million customers, a money-back guarantee and no prescription required, CB Distillery. It's the source we trust. Visit cbdistillery.com, enter the code STEPHANIE for a huge introductory discount. Again, that code is STEPHANIE at cbdistillery.com. We use it all here at the Stephanie Miller Show, the gummies, the soft gels, the tincture, and I use that salve on my sore muscles. We love it. You will, too. cbdistillery.com. Don't forget, type in Stephanie. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. And now let the cartoons begin. Recorded live in the USA and covering the whole wide world. Right on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, April 28, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is the junior senator from my former home state of Hawaii. The great Senator Maisie Hirono is here today to talk about her brand new book, Heart of Fire, out now wherever you get your books. Links in the description at bobseska.com. Today, the senator and I will chat about her rise from being an immigrant raised by a single mom to become one of the strongest voices against Trumpism in the United States Senate. And we'll talk about AAPI hate crimes and more. Also, don't panic. This is going to be a shorter show than usual, but we say a whole lot. Meantime, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash show. Okay, let's talk with Senator Maisie Hirono. Hello. Aloha, Senator Hirono. It's uh, such an honor to have you on the show. Aloha. Uh, You've so, been to Hawaii. <laughs> oh, my God. I lived there for five years. I can't wait to talk about that. I'm going to get oh, all into that. that. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, okay. before we talk about your book, uh, Heart of Fire, congratulations on the Senate passage of your AAPI hate crimes bill, 94 to 1. I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, the lone holdout being Senator Hawley. No surprise there. Uh, the question I still yep. have is this for you, Senator. Uh, will Donald Trump be held accountable for sparking these attacks against Asian Americans with his allegations about how China sent us the virus and the whole China virus nonsense? I mean, is he going to face more consequences for manifesting all of this? I t- tend to think not. After all, he was not held accountable for inciting an insurrection, and we yeah. all watch that happening. Right. And so, um, if he's going to be held accountable, it will be because of the district attorney in New York and maybe mm-hmm. the attorney general in Georgia. So, it could. Be, it, it, you know, he's facing a number of, uh, I think, legal challenges. Yeah. And I say about time. Do I mean? Do you think he should be held accountable for? You know, coining the China virus thing and trying to get that to stick. It never quite stuck, but, you know, he put it out there, and I think a lot of his disciples really ran with it. There's still some people who think that that's just uh, freedom of speech, Mm -hmm. because even as we were considering the the, uh, COVID-19 hate crimes bill, one of my colleagues, Republicans, gets up mm. and and says uh, that this bill would have stifled free speech, and he just went on and on. Mm. My gosh, I don't even know what speech. Uh, I suppose we can all run around spewing yeah. hateful speech. I don't think so. If if that's what he's saying was being curtailed by this bill, yeah, absolutely. So you know, they 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 don't want uh, uh, all. Of the, there are a lot of people in our country who will. Uh, spew this kind of speech and apparently there are republicans who want to protect their right to do so even if uh, something bad happens as a result i mean i should ask you this i mean do you see a correlation between the former president's speech and these hate crimes yes okay there yes there is because racism uh in our country is never far below the surface and clearly the aapi asian american pacific Islander community is always seen as the other and the perpetual foreigners and so these kinds of attacks the animus against uh uh, the other Mm -hmm. uh, comes up when there's an environment created that seems like it's okay to do so and that's what the president contributed to well, we'll get back to Trump here in a second, but your new book, Heart of Fire, is an absolute triumph. I enjoyed it so much. Uh, what oh, ins- thank you. What inspired you to, to write it, Senator? My mother. There you go. dedicated to her, and she has suffered two strokes, could no longer speak for herself, and my husband mm-hmm. had been encouraging me to write a um, memoir for a long time, and I decided it was time to pay tribute to my mom. Yeah. And sadly, she passed away before she could see the book but uh, right uh, she i i had the book cremated with her so it is a um it's a comfort to me to know that my mother had this book dedicated to her at the last well clearly her strength and character rubbed off on you as a single mother she uh, she raised you and your brothers uh, how important was your mother's influence on your life and uh, especially as a public servant more specifically my mother completely changed my life by bringing me to this country. And yeah. not very many of us can point to one person who totally changed our our lives. But my mother did through her own courage and mm-hmm. uh, risk-taking. I learned those things from her to do things that were uh, not the usual paths taken by my classmates. And I think uh, uh, the, uh, what I do uh, is uh, 
has everything to do with my immigrant background and watching my mother work hard with uh, no safety net. I don't think they had safety nets back in the day. Hmm. Yeah, right. And, and so just so determined to make a better life for herself. So that contributed to my understanding that I, I wanted to do something with my life because of the uh, opportunities that I had in this country that I never would have had in Japan to do something with my life that would give back to a country and a, and a state that gave me those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're kind of from the same neighborhood. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, but I lived in Hawaii for five years, uh, first on Pokey Street and Makiki and later on Spreckles Street. And, and both of those streets are just a few blocks from where you lived for a time on Kiwalo Street. And um, yes, so we're like, I mean, we just, yes. we may have just brushed past each other at some point or another, but uh, one of the most striking aspects of living in Hawaii was the true melting pot nature of it. It kind of embodies the the notion of uh, America being composed of immigrants. It's a, it's a model to me for the rest of the country. How has the diversity of Hawaii shaped your politics? Oh, very much so, because in Hawaii, we have diverse cultures. We intermarry at a greater rate than mm-hmm. probably any other state. And we really appreciate each other's foods, uh, cultural backgrounds, all of that. And that's celebrated. It's not something to fear. Yeah. Uh, I'm just really glad that I grew up in a state like Hawaii that, that uh, <laughs> showed me that you, people can get along. Mm-hmm. And whatever animus they feel for each other, they kind of keep it to themselves, you know, because it's it's really important to be aloha yeah. and, and to practice ohana, which is to care about more than just your own uh, inner family. That's right. Makes a, it made a huge difference that I uh, had that kind of experience. I know that AAPIs on the mainland had suffered from discrimination, and uh, they always felt like outsiders. They were picked on. They were bullied. I know. I know that happened. Right. Right. I was grateful that I didn't have that so much. Mm -hmm. We had sexism and gender issues, but uh, that's different. Right, right. (laughs) I I feel like Hawaii was very much... proof it's it's evidence that the notion of a nation built by immigrants can actually function and can actually work and the people can really uh coexist with each other uh and that was one of the most amazing things to experience i never never thought in a million years i would actually end up living in hawaii but once i got there i was so grateful to have that uh, experience of living in that kind of uh, place in the world where you had that multiculturalism and it was part of the United States at the same time. It was the same money. We had the same money. It's not like going to a foreign country. It was, I know. <laughs> it was, it's kind of like living in a foreign country, but it's not a foreign country. And so I, I feel like anyone who says that the American experiment really can't work in the long run needs to look to Hawaii. Do you have the same uh, point of view as far as uh, where you come from? I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And, and, and I think one of the key aspects is that there's no one racial group that is the majority in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Every racial group in Hawaii is a minority. That w- creates a situation where people have to get along. Yeah. And frankly, aside from the Native Hawaiian people who were there before anybody, the rest of us are all immigrants. And in fact, that goes for the rest of us. You know, we can be three or four generations, five generations away from our immigrant past. But, but for the indigenous peoples of our country, the rest of us are all immigrants. I wish everybody would just get that through their heads and not be so anti-immigrant in their 
perspectives and the behavior. My goodness. But <laughs> yes, Hawaii truly is a place where, uh, you know, I think one of the great things about Hawaii so, is uh, the mixed plate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you know that, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have a plate lunch that's got kalbi and it's got rice, it's got macaroni salad, it's got, you know, the lao lao, all of that, all of the different cultures' foods are on one plate. We call it mixed plate. Yeah. That also is a metaphor for describing uh, Hawaii. Oh, yeah, yeah. We could eat at a different kind of restaurant every day of the week and, and not repeat ourselves. Yeah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. But, you know, one of the things that always struck me about living in Hawaii was the mainland perspective that we're all just out there surfing and drinking Mai Tais that we've checked out of <laughs> real life. It's sort of a, that people consider it to be a non-retirement retirement, right? And it's definitely not like that. There are real people with real problems, poverty, other struggles, just like the mainland. Talk about some of your family's challenges living in Honolulu and how that shaped your understanding of things like privilege, for example. When we first came to Hawaii, I just had my mom and she worked a, a really hard two jobs. We had no uh, safety net. Yeah. You know, it, she just worked hard to put food on the table. We would often run out of money by the end of the month, and we ate really, really simply, mm-hmm. to say the least. Yeah. So um, living in a one-room boarding house when we first arrived and everybody sharing, uh, it wasn't even a kitchen, just one stove and one refrigerator at the end of the hallway – that was my beginnings and and uh, in this country, so I hardly I knew we were poor, yeah, it was pretty evident um, and and so um in Hawaii, it's not as though people are just sitting around on the beach, you're right, <laughs> drinking mai tais. no, we are uh, a state, and it's amazing uh, Bob, how some people still don't think Hawaii is a state. Oh, yes. I get that all the time. Our education system, (laughs) our educational curriculum obviously needs to uh, do a better job of uh, accuracy at least. (laughs) Exactly right. I can't tell you the number of times people said, well, when are you going to come back to the States, Bob? And I said, I am in one of the States. Uh, Hawaii is a state. (laughs) And okay. Yeah. That happens a lot. Well, mainland people never quite understood when I'd complain about things like traffic on the H1 or the cost of electricity in Hawaii. But life is just as real there as it is anywhere else. I always kind of called it, I called it real life with scenery. (laughs) It was... Uh, and, and frankly, we can't we can't just get into a car and go get a job in another state or right. you know all of that. We are the physically the most uh, isolated place uh, in the world, I think it is, and and so we've had to import all of our fossil fuels. And now we're we're we've made a commitment to get away from fossil fuels for electricity, mm-hmm. and we're uh, a leader in alternative and renewable energy. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's, there are there are things happening in Hawaii. People should oh, come over and see for themselves. Absolutely. Is that there was a? I remember for a time there was a wind farm project that was happening on Lanai. Is that still a, a thing, or is that did that go away? I don't re- recall what the uh, turnout was. Uh, I, I think the the biggest wind farm projects, as well as solar panel projects, are are on other islands. Mm-hmm. Okay. There were some concerns about uh, putting a big wind farm on on Lanai. Yeah, yeah. But the, we were very much reliant on alternative renewables in Hawaii now. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And, you know, reading about um, especially your place on Kualo Street, where it was uh, it was kind of a, like a one-room boarding house. And just going back to what it we were was. talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing that I always uh, would recall, because I also lived, when I lived on Pokey Street, it was just a small studio apartment with, you know, mm-hmm. a refrigerator yes. and a stove and not much else. And a little window unit air conditioning that I would never use because the electricity was so expensive. But uh, Oh, yes. But there was also the advantage of stepping out of your front door into that natural splendor. And uh, I don't know if I particularly appreciated the natural splendor as I was worrying about my mother getting sick. And, that's right. Um, she wouldn't be able to go go to work and all that. I, I mean, our family situation was pretty clear to me and my older brother, and my um, watching my mom. Mm-hmm. But we we were we were latchkey kids, so we would just run around on Kewala Street and. <laughs> Uh, I was a tomboy, so I would follow my older brother around. They would try to get rid of me, but I would climb over fences and run after them. <laughs> but we, we would be out playing in the streets back then. Oh, yeah. You could do that. Was it exciting when someone basically from your neighborhood became president of the United States? Uh, you know, someone who went to Punahou School. Uh, was that mind-blowing well, for you? Well, come on. You went to, you, if, you went to Hawaii, if you lived in Hawaii, you would know that Punahou School, come on, that is for the elite people. Oh, yeah, I that's true. I didn't go to Punahou. I went to public school. Right. So great that somebody from Hawaii, someone as talented as Barack Obama, but I initially was supporting Hillary, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't made up my mind. But ultimately, I decided to support Obama for various reasons, yeah, other reasons. Go. Not to mention that I had worked for a grandmother, and I didn't know it at the time, that I was working for his grandmother. I did some temp work mm-hmm. for his grandmother. That's incredible. So. <laughs> yeah. What a small world. Life is full of surprises. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I found that uh, Hawaii changed my internal clock. It kind of shaved off from some of the sharp edges from my East Coast upbringing. Oh, really? Has your, oh. has your Hawaii perspective affected how you interact with your colleagues in the Senate? And um, did you find that perspective helpful when fighting both Donald Trump and stage four cancer at the same time. I can't even imagine that struggle. I think I think the culture in Hawaii, as you know, is one of co- cooperation, mm-hmm. and it's a, a very non-confrontational and not particularly verbal. So for me to be uh, as vocal as I am was, uh, was quite the journey. And so I grew up in a culture where certainly um, being aggressive and confrontational vocal were not rewarded, coming from a, a, a woman. Yeah. So it's been a, a journey for me to, uh, I was always very determined to succeed or, or to be effective in the legislative arena. Mm-hmm. I could do so without, um, you know, be much more culturally, I would say, much more quiet in how I went about it. But the the bully that we had in front of our face, so uh, that, that created a... Uh, uh, situation that I, I just found myself speaking out mm-hmm. uh, outside of my comfort zone. And yeah. once you do that, there's no turning back. So uh, in this journey, I've become my m- more complete self. I now exercise my vocal cords. <laughs> and and I'm it was so, necessary. It was yeah. necessary with Trump because he yeah. was uh, such a 
terrible person. Yeah, I'm so glad you stepped up. What was there a specific moment that you recall that made you decide to uh to, to get out there and speak out against what was happening with the Trump administration. Was there one thing or was it just a, a series of insults and horrible things that led you to that? There was one moment where I stepped up to the spray and this is a group of media people from print, print to, to TV to radio. Yeah. They, they all sort of uh, uh, positioned themselves at the end of the Russell building or something like that. And I was going to my judiciary hearing and there they all were. And Trump had just said something really terrible about my friend Kirsten Gillibrand, how she had come to uh, ask for his help and all that. And the innuendo was horrible. So it got me so upset that Mm -hmm. it was the first time I stepped up to a spray. (laughs) And I I said, he's a liar. He's a misogynist. He's an admitted sexual predator. And he will go after anybody (laughs) who doesn't agree with him. And the only thing that will save us is his resignation. (laughs) And I said that all in like one breath. And I knew that the national press who had never heard me speak out, I'm sure they were really surprised. And then I walked off to my hearing. But after that, I I decided that it it was really important. And we just had all these terrible things uh, coming down the pike, such as you mentioned my stage four cancer diagnosis. That was a huge shock to me. And it, it happened just during the time when, once again, the Republicans were trying to eliminate healthcare for millions of people in our country. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, and then you have the, the forced separation, the mm-hmm. trauma of all these children being ripped from their parents. And those are all uh, areas of uh, experience for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It seems like the Times really drove you to uh, connect your immigrant experience, uh, your experience as a woman uh, coming into the Senate and having to deal with all of these things at the same time. You were perfectly suited for those times. And I'm so glad that you stepped up and and really let them have it. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I speak for so many people as I, I'm glad you let them have it. And you really, oh, really did. Thank you. Yeah. And women, I particularly would like to see uh, women use their voices because it took me a long time to get to where I am, where I am my more complete uh, self. Mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't take them as long to use their voices and, and to express their uh, anger in effective ways because uh, women's anger is uh, definitely not uh, – um, uh, it's hard for the guys to deal with women's anger. Yeah, yeah. But when men get angry, they get to do it. Yeah, and right. Look at the Kavanaugh hearings, mm-hmm. where he gets to cry and and accuse the Democrats of conspiring against him. Versus Dr. Ford with her demeanor it was if she had gone over the top the way he did, she would have been totally, totally dismissed. Oh yeah, yeah. The double standard but when is he, when he, when he, oh yeah. alive and well. Mm-hmm. Oh, we completely aware of it. Yeah, especially <laughs> and we saw it writ large on the presidential stage the way the men oh, candidates yes. were treated versus the way the women candidates were treated. It was uh, mm-hmm. very it was glaringly obvious the uh, uh, disparity between the two. Uh, the book is a must read. Heart of Fire by the great Senator Maisie Hirono is out now, available everywhere. Links in the description at bobseska.com. Thank you again, Senator, for your time today. And there are millions of us rooting for you. Mahalo nui loa to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Bob. You're, you're a Kiki Okaina, <laughs> child of Hawaii. A little bit. Yes, a little bit. But thank you yes. for saying it. I appreciate it. I, and I yes. thank you so much for yes. your time today. Part of our Hana. Take That's care. Right. Take it easy. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Aloha.
Well, there's a lot of pride that comes with having your own home. It's the place where so many memories are made, right? It's the biggest investment you'll likely ever make, and it's a lot of work. That's where Angie comes in. Angie is on a mission to help you love your home by taking on all the projects that come with it. It's your personal home expert. When you download the Angie app, help is at your fingertips when you need it the most. Find a local professional to fix an emergency leak. If you're planning on a renovation, Angie matches you with the right contractor for the job. You can even schedule seasonal maintenance so it's all on autopilot. Plus, you can see clear upfront pricing on hundreds of projects so you know what you'll pay ahead of time. You can even pay your pro securely right through the app. Angie is your ally. It's all about trust. Handling your home has never been this straightforward. But now it is with Angie, your home for everything home. Download the Angie app today. That's Angie.